The reading is taken from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've recently discovered or rediscovered carbohydrates as part of my diet and in particular how good bread is. More about bread later on and may the Lord grant that it doesn't show up uh, on, in all the wrong places for me. But as you heard earlier, my name is Akil Gardner and I'm um, an Anglican minister. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, the last time I was in this building was just under 12 months ago uh, to celebrate the induction of Randall as your pastor. It was such a unique time for Randall to take a role in the middle of a pandemic and also an in intense season to be pastoring in. So I say God bless Randall and all power to him and all grace be upon him as he leads you in this and out of this season of lockdown. It's lovely to be in the building uh, and seeing your faces even on the screen on the background there on Zoom and beaming into your homes, your lounge rooms, your tablets, your phones, your laptops, whatever it is you're watching on today. And you've heard a bit about our church plant already today, so I won't tell you a bit more of that. Uh, but the majority of my time is spent church planting and being an Anglican minister and leading the staff team there in Craigieburn now. My wife, Sarah, and I moved to Craigieburn uh, just over three years ago. And we have a three-month-old son, and I'm going to show you a picture of him. His name's Josiah. He's uh, three months as of two days ago, and that's my wife and I in the middle. Obviously, that's a picture of him when he was just born. It's a picture of me giving him a bath. It's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, here's a picture of his two bodyguards, often who are sleeping on the job. Well... 
that's uh, a bit about my family, my background and the church plan. A bit more about me, maybe one more thing about me. My passion is to see people encounter God's kingdom, to encounter God himself, to come into God's kingdom and to grow up. And if you, um, maybe that's four passions, but they're all kind of interlinked, aren't they? If you put my life into a blender and poured it out as a prayer, my life would pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me, in us, in people, in places, everywhere, just as it is in heaven. That's my prayer. Uh, I hope that's what my life echoes at the end of my time on earth, and that's my heart. So uh, that's what I want to bring to you today, is that you would encounter something of God's presence and person and character and his kingdom and live for him. So this morning, we're onto a really polarizing topic. Uh, Randall asked me to speak about mission, but I want to talk about an even more polarizing topic this morning. If you were to go out into the streets of Bolwyn or Kew or Greythorn or Camberwell or Surrey Hills or wherever it is you live or that family lunch you've got to duck off to after this. And if you were to poll people on the street or at family lunch, I mean, who doesn't love a stranger walking up to them, asking them really, really polarizing questions, right? But if you were to ask people on the street today or at your family lunch what they really thought about bread... What kind of responses do you think you would get? On this polarizing topic, you might get a really wide range of responses, ranging from, I love bread, I can't get enough of bread, all the way down to, bread is evil, don't eat bread, bakeries just want your money, bread is bad for you. And all of the variations in the middle, all the way down to, I once ate bread as a child. My grandma once gave me a loaf of bread. My grandma once took me to the bakery. Or even, all, all, all breads lead to indigestion. All breads are the same. Or maybe there's a really strange response you might get at the lunch table today. Bread is private. People shouldn't talk about bread publicly. The Premier of New South Wales should not talk about what kind of bread he eats. Bread has no place in the public life or in public discourse. Now, before you think this talk and I have both gone off the rails right at the start, before you think that, think again. Today we are talking about the story that we've heard read to us in John chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I really hope you can see this image behind me, and you might want to look really closely at the text in the image. But we're, we're dealing and delving into the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, this miraculous story. And the reason I have been ovening on about bread so far is that in this story, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And just after he feeds the people, just after, a few verses later, several verses later, Jesus begins to educate the crowd of Jewish people about bread. It's a really long sermon and education to the Israelite people about bread. Now, the Israelites didn't need schooling in life-giving bread. They knew all about bread. In fact, they were rescued by God from Egypt, brought out into the wilderness, where God supernaturally provided life-giving bread for them every single morning for 40 years. They knew all about bread. They didn't need an education from this guy, Jesus, about bread. 
God had sustained their life in a really tough time, in a really rough place. And to these people who knew all about bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Eating bread, living forever. I've just rediscovered bread, but I'm talking about physical bread. Here we're talking about something else. I hope you're catching along. What's this message all about? I hope you're not confused. This is what today's message is all about. We're talking about people, we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about us. People all over your suburbs, all over your neighbourhoods, in your families, in your networks, in your places of work, in the places you visit, and can soon visit some more. There are people hungering and thirsting for life, for real life, for something meaningful and purposeful. People are looking for substance. They're looking for something that will satisfy deeply. I wonder if you know people like that. I wonder if you're one of those people today. Hungering and thirsting for something that will satisfy deeply. Searching for meaning and purpose. Well, Jesus, in that Jesus is the true and living bread, is what Jesus says of himself. He is the one who gives full and satisfying and eternal life. The last bit about us is that we must eat this bread that is Jesus. Not only must we eat bread, we've got to carry bread, we've got to smell like bread, we've got to talk about bread, we've got to bring bread to people, we've got to bring people to the table and make sure that bread is available. Now, as long as bread means Jesus, because you can't make people eat bread who don't want to eat bread, but you've got to offer them Jesus. So our chapter begins today with these words. In John chapter 6, verse 1, these words, after this. Uh, as I read that, those two words, after this, in preparation for today, I asked myself, after what? I actually need to remind myself of what just came before. It's one of those important things as we read the Bible and we see words like after this or shortly after this or therefore, that we go back and look at what just occurred. It's important for us to go and at least glance back as to what just happened before this miracle of feeding the 5,000. We've already talked about what happens after the miracle and that Jesus teaches about him being the bread of life. But before this miracle, Jesus is having a conversation, a dialogue with the religious leaders of the day. And he says to them, and I'm going to paraphrase what he says to them. He says, look, you've got your head in the books. But if you were to really look, you would see that the writings that you are so intently and carefully studying are actually telling you about me, says Jesus. He says, the prophet Moses, who you look up to and you put your hope in, well, he prophesied about me but you're too blind to see it. So that's what happens before this feeding. We know what happens after the feeding. And this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is sandwiched like two slices of bread on either side between two really difficult conversations. On the one hand, he's got a difficult conversation with religious leaders. And on the other hand, he's got a difficult conversation with people, with the crowd. Both conversations are about Jesus' identity. Both conversations feature people's inability to wrap their head around who this Jesus is and what to do with him. 
It's no different to the day and age we're in today. People haven't changed. For 2,000 years, people haven't changed. In fact, when you're at lunch today or when you're out doing that other survey I suggested you do about bread, you could add in another question. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? If you were to ask people on your streets, in your shops, at your family lunch, who do you think Jesus is? What kind of response do you think you get? Some responses might be, Jesus is a wise man, a philosopher, lofty thoughts, lofty teachings. Uh, some people like that version of Jesus. Some people think he's a moral teacher. You know, do this, don't do that, live like this, don't live like that, keep it simple. Some people think he's a misguided man. Others think he's only a worker of miracles. Others might think he's a social justice warrior. Others might think he's a prophet, like the majority of Muslims who live in my suburb believe Jesus is a prophet, but that's all they believe he is. Some people might believe he's a raving lunatic, which he frequently gets accused of even in the gospel stories. The people of his day thought he was barking mad. There are people then, and there are people still today, who don't know what to do with Jesus and what to make of him and who he is. But the author of this gospel, the gospel of John, and John, the author of the gospel, tells us and tells the reader, for anyone who will read after he's written it, why he's captured these events, why he's written down these stories. In John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's the lens through which we come at this story today. That what's on offer here is not just a story, but actually by seeing Jesus in this story, that you and I might believe that he is the Son of God and have life in his name. That by believing we, Bolwyn, Camberwell, your neighbours, your surrounding suburbs, your co-workers, your family, your friends, even stalwart churchgoers, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, may have life in his name. So there's the background. Now we get to the passage. Here's the story. After this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Jesus had caught the attention of the people. He had been healing people. and People may have been following him out of curiosity, out of interest, or out of need, or whatever the case is. They had seen the previous episodes, and they liked what they saw, so they've tuned in for another episode. And then there's this little detail again. The Passover festival was near. There are no wasted words in the Bible. You see, the author John has put these words in there to cause an echo to ring in our ears of going, Passover, what is that about? What would the people who were sitting there listening to Jesus on that mountainside be thinking about, knowing well that Passover is about to happen? Well, what's being alluded to here again is Moses and the Exodus and the signs that God performed to deliver his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the wilderness where he cared for them and fed them and nourished them and looked after them and brought them into the promised land eventually. God provided for his people in the wilderness, in a place where there was nothing, provided them with bread and meat. 
And all of that information is meant to ring in the background as we hear these words, the Passover festival was near. We read further. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd approaching him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread from for these people to eat? He only said this to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it will take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Jesus is asking Philip a question, already knowing what Philip is going to say. It's a setup. It's a very good setup too. Jesus is testing Philip, not because Jesus doesn't know what Philip is going to say, but he's setting it up for Philip to be able to see just how outrageous or ridiculous or out there it is to think that it's possible for people to do naturally what only God can do supernaturally. That's what I think the setup is. He, was, he wants to show Philip, Philip, you can't think about this naturally. Watch me. Have you ever been asked by God to do something that seemed totally impossible? Because those impossible things are the kinds of things God majors in. Those are the moments where things seem totally impossible that are the most amazing setups where only God can come through and deliver with the impossible. And he, he asks those things of us all the time. But we can't be thinking like Philip. I imagine an interaction with us today, here, right now, wherever you are, is this church in Bolwyn. Jesus saying to you, go to all of Bolwyn. Make disciples of all nations. Off you go. Now you and I might think, yeah, that sounds good, Jesus, but um, I'm not sure if you've noticed we've been in lockdown for two years. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not sure you've noticed the stats. Churches are in decline all around this country, Jesus. Or maybe it's a bit more personal. Jesus, I just don't feel particularly confident to go into all of Baldwin and the surrounding suburbs and make disciples of people. Like that whole make disciples thing just sounds you know, a bit out there for me. I don't feel confident. I can't share my faith. Or maybe you say to Jesus, but Jesus, the government. I don't know. We all have our reasons sometimes. But here's a question I want to ask you today, church. Do you and do we really think that Jesus has given us an assignment and called us to an assignment for which he has not thought about and made provision for by his grace and power? Do we really believe that he has not prepared the resources for the thing he's called us to do, it, even though it might look impossible? And I'm preaching to myself just as much today. It's a bit like coming back to Philip in that story. Jesus absolutely intends to feed the crowd. He absolutely has every intention of supplying the crowd's needs. He's just getting Philip's thinking out in the open. It shows where Philip's mind is at. If Philip were on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it was where he churns out his thoughts, he might be tweeting tweets like this. Hashtag, too many people. Hashtag, not enough money. Hashtag, not enough to go around. Or hashtag, overwhelmed. Hashtag, impossible. It is, however, the perfect setup for Jesus to show Philip 
and to show us and to astonish us with his grace and his power. So we read on. Another of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Just by the by, on a side note, this boy, who has no name, has gone down in history as having no say in having his lunch pinched by a group of grown men. <laughs> Just a side note there, if you've ever thought about that. But this boy is here in this story with no name, divinely placed in the right place at the right time with something in his hand. As we read, five small loaves of bread and two small fish. Can you hear the words? What's the word? Small. If Andrew were on Twitter and tweeting, he would be saying, hashtag too small. Hashtag too insignificant. A drop in the ocean. A minnow. A minnow is a small fish, by the way, but that's a term of endearment we use for little things or little people. So he'd be like, minnow. Too small. Measly. I wonder if you feel that way this morning. Big God, big vision, big mission, big goal, big plans. Feel small. Feel insignificant. Feel like a drop in the ocean. Will it even make a difference? Can barely put a dint in it. Wonder if anyone feels like that in light of the bigness of the things God has called us to and bigness of who God is. What happens next, I think, is one of the most beautiful things in all of Scripture. I think lots of things in Scripture are beautiful, but this morning particularly, I think the beauty of what happens next is particularly fresh for me. Jesus takes the small and seemingly insignificant thing and he works a miracle. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. I'm sure you've worked this out. Jesus didn't have to use this boy's lunch to feed the crowd. Jesus could have made bread out of nothing. He could have made fish out of nothing. He could have commanded every bird in the sky in that area to come down to be caught and to be cooked. But he didn't do that. It's one of those stunning things that Jesus chose to take what this boy had. He used what this boy had, he used what seemed small and insignificant to lift up the eyes of his disciples further onto his glory, off off the bank account, off off the size of the thing they'd found, to lift their eyes up onto who Jesus really is, the, the size of God's power, the size of God's provision, the size of God's grace, away from our assessment of the circumstances. Big God, big Jesus, big power and glory. And suddenly when Jesus works this miracle, not enough becomes more than enough. And insignificant things in our hands, or seemingly insignificant things in our hands, become 
a substantial thing in God's hands. Small things become just the right size for a miracle thing. Right here in this picture of Jesus lifting up bread and feeding the masses, we have a picture of unending grace that comes to us in the gospel from God's hand. Unending grace. In the very next scene, Jesus says that he is the bread of life who is going to give his life for the life of the world. He is the one who is going to be lifted up onto the cross, his body broken to give life and sustenance to all of humanity who would come to him and put their faith in him. This feeding of the 5,000 is but a picture of what we know to be the gospel of grace, of unending grace and mercy that come to us from the hand of our Father through his Son. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of God taking a situation where the odds seemed stacked and the circumstances seemed dire. His son was dead on a cross, but he took that situation and worked a miracle by using that to sustain us. Spoiler alert, the resurrection. Well, the story goes on, these last few verses. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who'd eaten. I wonder if you like numbers, you might be thinking 12 baskets left over. I wonder if there's anything significant about that. Look, I think it was 12 disciples who went around with baskets and collected things. So 12 baskets of things left over. But let's come to this story this morning. Where are you in this story this morning? Who are you in this story? Your church's mission is to see the community and the city transformed by the good news of Jesus. And as you engage with that mission and think about that mission, where are you in this story? Uh, let's rule out one thing first. You and I are not Jesus. We are not the bread of life. We do not give our life for the life of the world to save people. That's not us. There's one saviour. He's very good at it. There's one bread of life. He's very good at it. So let's rule that one out. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Are you Philip? Are you someone who thinks there's not enough? Is there some, are you someone who always thinks about, yes, I know what we're called to do, but what about the money? There's a song. What about the money? Money. Anyway, what about the budget? Maybe that's you. Philip is a good guy. Let's not bag Philip out. Philip thinks about the facts. He observes the data. He thinks about the numbers. He's a realist. And there's a realism about him. To the Philips and maybe the Philippas, be prepared to put aside your assessment of the situation and be prepared to be amazed at what Jesus will do. In this church in this city, in this nation, and in the world. Maybe you're a Philip. Maybe you're not a Philip. Maybe you're an Andrew. Andrew's like the next level up. Andrew tracks down the person with the resources, you see. Andrew can see where the resources are. He can see where God's grace is flowing, and he's like, look, 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 we found someone. We found the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. Andrew has eyes to see something, but he sees too little. 
Even though he locates the resources and spots where Grace is moving, he still doesn't believe it is substantial enough. He thinks it's too small. It's too insignificant. Well, if you're an Andrew or an Andrea, what seems insignificant in your hands and my hands is more than sufficient in God's hands. Maybe you're an Andrew. Maybe you're not an Andrew. Maybe you're the little boy in the story. I want to share just a brief story with you. I was speaking to a colleague earlier this week, not Randall. Uh, This colleague had been assigned the job of revitalizing a church. And this was one of his first jobs out on his own. And I promise you, this is not Randall I'm talking about. Um, This particular church that he had been assigned to revitalize had a lot of older members who had been there faithfully for years and years. But unfortunately, the way this church had been going, uh, numbers had been dwindling. The congregation had been shrinking. Mission and evangelism weren't happening. And so this minister had to sit down with his congregation members in a circle in the church building and say, hey, this is not looking particularly good at the moment, is it? The congregation were having a really hard time imagining how God could fill their church with people again and make them effective in mission. They couldn't imagine, especially how a younger generation might come into the life of the church and find Jesus again. So in this initial meeting with this particular pastor, as he's sitting in the circle talking to his older congregation members, everyone was talking about how they had nothing to offer. And it looked really bleak. All the while, while this was happening, there was... Um, The pastor's infant daughter, who had been perched on the lap of a lovely elderly lady while the elderly lady was speaking. And the lady was speaking about how the situation was and how they felt they had nothing to offer. And uh, there's no hope of rejuvenating and revitalizing this church. And this lady kept going on and on. And suddenly another woman stood up and said, hey, stop. You've been going on for five minutes. It's my turn to hold the baby. And in that moment, the pastor looked at this congregation who were just saying that they had nothing to offer and the penny dropped for him and for them. They had all discovered in that moment that what this congregation had to offer was care and relationship of wisdom and maturity. They could offer young families who had wandered in a place of welcome, of safety and of relationship all, of course, within child-safe practices. And as this older congregation offered to God what they had, the ability to be relational and loving and caring, God began to bring families into that church and to revitalize that church. And the church found that what was in their hands when offered to God was actually more than enough, more than sufficient for God to work a miracle. The reason I tell you that story is because as I think of this little boy, we ask the question, this little boy who offered his lunch up to God, and out of it, abundance flowed for so many other people. Are you that boy? Are you the little boy in the story? Is there a nudge in your heart to offer yourself to God and to see what he does with your life, with your talents, with your time, or with your personality? Whatever is in your hand, whatever is in your heart, 
Could Jesus do something spectacular with it to lift people's eyes up to God and his glory? Maybe you're not Philip, maybe you're not Andrew, maybe you're not the little boy, maybe you are, maybe there's bits of you that all of those, or maybe you're in this story at the final piece, the team of disciples. They're out there distributing bread and fish and doing what their masters commanded them to do. Isn't that what we're aiming for, is for people to mature in Christ? That is what we want to see after all, is for people to come to Jesus and to be satisfied in him. Maybe you're there. You're part of the disciples team. What I believe this morning God is communicating to us from this part of his word is that Jesus is enough. He will accomplish his mission. He will keep his promises. He will fulfill his purposes. And he will fill the earth with the glory of his presence. He will do it. He is enough, not only for you, not only to fill your life with meaning and purpose and satisfaction unto eternity, but to fill everyone else's life who would come to him and believe in him. Do you believe that? I began with saying these things. People, Jesus and us. People are hungry People are thirsty. People want to have purpose and meaning and substance and something real and deep in their life. And there are people hungering and thirsting, starving all over. There is more than enough for you and there's more than enough for me and more than enough for all those hungry and thirsty people to find that substance in Jesus. So the thing I'm asking of you is to make sure that you're eating bread. Make sure you eat bread. And by bread, I mean Jesus. Make sure that you carry bread, you smell like bread, you talk about bread, you bring bread to people, you bring people to the table and serve them bread, the bread of life. As you go out from this place today into a more open society, and open I mean in terms of restrictions, think of the people you come across. And the challenge I want to leave you with today is how can you offer them the bread of life this coming week? Amen.